Now, to the business at hand. Uh, this is going to date me. Um, my middle son, when they come over to s- swim at the house, he always brings the music with him, and he always wants me to guess who is the, the singer. He still kind of liked rock and roll and that sort of thing, and I kind of tuned out on that somewhere in, uh, somewhere in the early 80s. And I don't know all these singers today, and I don't even want to know most of them. You know, I'm, I'm kind of came in in the last years of Elvis, uh, then the Beatleys, also known as the Beatles, and the Beach Boys, and, and Bob Dylan was one of those. And there was a song he wrote one time that I kind of liked. And by the way, for a short time during the Jesus movement, Bob Dylan even became a Christian. I think he reverted back to his Jewish faith, I don't know. But he wrote a song, how many of you remember the times they are a-changing? Any of you remember that? So, that, so you're baby boomers that remember that also. And if those times were a-changing in the 60s and early 70s, aren't they ever changing right now? And I can't say that all of the changes are good ones that are happening right now. In fact, a lot of them are bad ones. And I'm wondering if there's not something sinister behind a lot of the things and the convulsions we're going through, not just as a nation, but as a world right now. Here's a couple things I just heard in the last week. Just Friday morning, I go online and I have people that send me things, newsy sorts of things and that. And, and this was something that was kind of shocking to me. There is a Lutheran church in South Carolina. Ironically, the name of the church is Trinity Lutheran. And they are holding a special service entitled, Drag Me to Church. And the picture that goes with it is of a drag queen. And this is a service welcoming all of those that are cross-dressers or have gone through gender transformation to come and be accepted by us at this church. Now, I believe the Lord loves and welcomes all people, but I don't know about that one. Um... For better or for worse, it's just like marriage. If you're invested in the stock market like I am, you have good days and you have bad days. Last month has been the month from hell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And um, I discovered when I was talking to the person that handles the investments for me that I'm invested with Disney. So I instructed him, first chance, get me out of Disney. I don't like some of the things they're doing, but it gets worse. This week I just learned that Disney is sponsoring a new film entitled Little Demon. Have you heard of this? Coming out by Disney. And it is a storyline of a woman that is impregnated by Satan... And it's a little demon that she has. I don't really want to be a part of that sort of thing. And the list could go on and on. Something that just really has me discouraged right now. Um, Last time I checked, down from 90% of Americans that would call themselves at least generically Christian... That doesn't mean they're all going to heaven, but they would identify as Christians. (coughs) And then it was 79% just a few years ago. Just this week, I came across the statistic by one survey, (coughs) excuse me, that only 64% of Americans right now identify as Christian and that 23 years from now 2245 Christians will be a minority in America if these trends continue 
Well, there's lots of things that are going on. Now, I'm, I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer here today. But the reason I'm saying these things is still the majority of Americans believe there is evil in the world. And most would say, you know, you know the number of Americans that believe in Satan in some surveys outstrips or outnumbers those that say they believe in the Christian God. Go figure. But here's what I'm driving at today is we need to beware of a counterintelligence that is at work in our world today. I think we see it globally. I think we see it personally in our lives. And the title of the message this morning is Beware of Counterintelligence. And the scripture that I'm using as the um, text comes out of 1 Peter. You can read it off the wall. Now, I'm going to... I, 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 did, did we, did you, I didn't grab the bulletin. I don't know if you had a chance to print the sermon notes or not. Okay. So you might need to, you might want to jot down some things. I just did it in case you'd want to use it. But anyway, there's some scriptures I'm going to mention today that are not on the wall, but they're going to relate to this theme. But let's just get started by looking at this. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 10. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, some of you saw the Star Wars movies. How many have been Star Wars people over the years? And you remember as the movie, first movie started, it was long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, I'm kind of borrowing from that and modifying it a little bit. Long, long ago, in heaven, far, far away, something happened in heaven that changed the course of at least life on earth, I don't know about on Paralandra or some other planet, from that time forward. There was a rebellion in heaven, in some way, shape, or form, even heavenly beings, at least at a time, had the capacity to choose to be for or against God. Now, there's a couple of scriptures here. This one comes out of Isaiah. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. And in the words of Jesus in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There are other passages of scripture in Revelation 12.4, where the, where the dragon, when he whips his tail, he brought a third of those beings down with him. That's where we get the saying that we've heard, that a third of heaven uh, fell when Satan fell. And I won't take the time, but you, this is an interesting read. If you want to read in Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, beginning with the 12th or 13th verse, Ezekiel is going back and forth talking about the king of Tyre, but then in the last half of that, of that chapter, this king becomes a supernatural being, and he seems to be describing the most beautiful angel in heaven, Lucifer, that rebelled against God. And in some way, shape, or form, this is the origin of this counterintelligence, of this evil that has become resident in this good creation of God. When it happened, we don't know. Was it before the foundations of the world were laid? All kinds of theories on this. Some have called, believe in what they call the gap theory of creation. 
when did all the dinosaurs live? And the opening words of Genesis are in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth became. It could be interpreted that way. Some think there was a previous creation and that's when Satan fell. That's all beside the point. We don't know, but at some point he did fall. And we've been living with that ever since and Satan is alive and well by the time Adam and Eve are created in the garden. And we're never going to solve the mystery of all of this. But there is what we call the mystery of evil. Paul's the one who used this Greek word, mysterion. For the mystery of iniquity is already at work. I had a professor years ago, my favorite professor, this was in graduate school back in New Jersey. His name, and, and your parents must have known you were going to be very brilliant before they would give you the name Diogenes. But his name, his birth name was Diogenes Allen. And Diogenes Allen was a Christian man, uh, a Rhodes Scholar, and the professor of philosophy at the institution where I was studying. And I took a course with Dr. Allen, always my favorite teacher, always very outspoken, and just brilliant. And he spoke of the mystery of evil. And he said, a mystery is different from a problem. In this sense of the term, Sherlock Holmes never solved a mystery. He solved a whodunit problem. Give him the, ec- the evidence and the time, and he could solve the crime. But a mystery is something that transcends our ability to fully comprehend. The Trinity is a mystery. How could God be three in one at one and the same time. It's the nature of Christ who is 100% man and 100% God in such a way that he is 100% each but he never violates the properties of either. That's a mystery. And the origin and the nature of evil is a mystery as well. We can't solve it. We can't crack the code. Now, I'm going to give you a little fictitious story that I made up years ago, and it still sticks with me when I think about this. What would this rebellion... Remember, this is fiction. Because we're speaking to something that transcends our ability to understand. But maybe it was something like this, and it's just a cartoon. Maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's an allegory. Maybe it's wrong. But once upon a time, in the celestial drafting room of heaven, there was the Creator God. And on His drafting board, He is sketching out possible worlds that He might create. Next to this drafting board, there's a big circular trash can that is there. And it's overflowing with rejected options of how God might have created the world. He could have created us unipods that would hop around on one leg. He could have made the planet square. He could have done anything he wanted. But these were all things he rejected. And they're crumpled up next to the drafting board that's there. Remember, this is fiction. But I'm trying to make a point. Standing back in the corner in the door doorway of that drafting room is the most powerful creature God ever created, Lucifer. And there is something within Lucifer's heart that strives to be like God himself. And he has his own ideas for what the world ought to look like. And when Jesus steps out of the drafting room, 
Lucifer goes and goes through those crumpled up, rejected ideas for creation that God has rejected. Smooths them out on the drafting board and said, I think a world could look like this. And so what Lucifer has done in his rebellion against God, he has tried to become like God himself. But only God can speak reality into being. Only God can speak truth. Only that which is grounded in him. And so one way to think of this mystery of evil is it's Lucifer rebelling against God, the most beautiful of all of the creatures in heaven. Great glory and honor, but became restless with that and exercised that freedom of choice that he had to disqualify himself from heaven. Okay. Now you probably, I'm certain, it actually looked nothing like I just described. But I'm trying to give you some kind of way of understanding how it might have been. But there are certain things we can say about evil without solving the mystery. One is that it's real. There are even some great theologians. Thomas Aquinas was one of them. Who spoke of evil as the privation of good. In other words, it's just the darkness and the void and the absence of truth and good. But no, there's something more sinister to evil than that. It's real. It is intelligent. Don't ever think that you are a match for his satanic unmajesty or the imps of hell in being able to match wits with them. The great reformer Martin Luther, in one of the great hymns that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, one of the verses goes, In this world with devils filled, our striving would be losing. If not the right man, we're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Martin Luther believed very much in the power of a real devil. There are multitudes of evil beings that are part of this unheavenly kingdom. This satanic kingdom. We know that Jesus drove demons out of the pig. And there were enough demons that went out of that that took the whole herd of hogs and they ran off the cliff into the sea. There may be more evil spirits than there are people on earth. We don't know. We don't know how big and expansive heaven is. But here's the other thing. Evil is subservient to God. Evil does not have an independent ability to act and do whatever he wants without God's permissive will. Witness the book of Job. Now here's another problem or mystery. What is Satan doing in heaven in the presence of God? Asking permission to torment God's servant Job. And he could only do what God allowed him to do. In this sense, Satan operates as God's useful idiot. There's nothing he can do that God does not allow and permit. That doesn't mean there are not (coughs) terrible things that happen. But his power is limited, both in scope and in time. Scripture tells us that the time is coming when evil will be no more. But right now, in the meantime, we're living. In in one of those episodes of human history, where there is evil that seems to be rising up. It's in apocalyptic dimensions. This is, you've heard me say it before, this is a, maybe it is the 
Revelation generation. The stage is set, and there are things that are happening in our own country where faith and belief in God and core values have lost traction and are giving way to things that will never work but will crash and burn no matter what Satan says or what life he tries to breathe into them. So let's look now for just a moment um, at the objectives of this counterintelligence. Let me back, can I back this up? We're going to see something here. There we go. This is a strange looking picture up here. I have it kind of um, watermarked, faded, so you can see what I'm going to impose on it here in just a second. This is a picture, I don't know where it came from, but an early painting, I think it came from the Middle Ages, of St. Anthony of the Desert. Maybe nobody here has ever heard of St. Anthony of the Desert. He lived in the third century in Egypt. And he was one of the, he was the first monastic Christian. He lived the life of a hermit in the desert in Egypt. He grew up in a Christian home. This is circa 270 A.D. And served the Lord himself, but after his parents, who were very well-to-do, they weren't fabulously rich, but they had means. After they died, he took a vow of poverty and dispersed the family inheritance which had come to him, first of all to his family members that were surviving, and then to others who were in need, and he walked out of town penniless. And he lived the rest of his life as a hermit in the desert. But he had these notorious encounters with Satan in the desert. Athanasius, who was one of the early great theologians, Athanasius of Alexander. It was Athanasius who codified the statement of faith of the dual nature of Christ that came to be our orthodox faith. And he wrote on the life of St. Anthony. And he tells the story, and it might have been the basis of this picture here. There were many times when people would come to, to a place, it might be an abandoned village, or it might be a cave, or it might be some other place. And as they approached, they could hear the beasts of hell screaming and growling and tormenting, and St. Anthony fighting them off. On one occasion, they left him for half dead, drug him out of the cave. Others that followed his life came and prayed over him. He revived and went back in in the power of God and all of the beasts of hell scattered because he in his own way had had a kind of resurrection of the power of God. How much of this is grounded in history and how much in legend? You go figure. But it is something that is part, one of the stories that comes from the early church. After one of these encounters, Anthony asked the Lord, why do you let this happen to me? And he said, because I have great plans to use you in eternity to come. Well, I hope none of us here have this kind of graphic encounters with Satan. I can tell you that as an MK, for those of you who don't know the Assemblies of God code language or acronyms, that are the initials of missionaries kid. And my father was a missionary in the Philippines. And if you want me to tell you some hair-raising stories, we saw some demon manifestations there that would curl your hair. I won't go there right now because I want lunch too. Okay? But there are demons in the world today. One of my favorite theologians, he was a French thinker. He was called a polymath. That is a man that is a genius in different ways. His name was Jacques Ellul. Fervent Christian. He died a few years ago. And he wrote a book entitled The New Demons. And in it he's talking about how this counterintelligence has taken root in our secularized society. In the mindset of the secular people in the world today. Of greed and dishonesty and thirst for power.
And these, he said, are new demons that are just as vivid as the demons that St. Anthony had to encounter. So what are the objectives of this counterintelligence? First thing I'll mention here is deception. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus, who never had bad things to say about sinners, but he had plenty of harsh words for the Pharisees. You know what I'm talking about? And talking to the Pharisees, he said they were like their father, who is the father of lies, Satan. Who when he lies, these are words of Jesus, he speaks his native language. And I'm telling you that the objective of Satan is to try to convince you that his lie is the truth for your life. Remember Satan in the celestial drafting room having another reality that is really not a reality at all. Remember in the Garden of Eden. Here's another passage of scripture you might want to write down and, and read on your own. The story of the fall. The serpent. Did God really say to you that you cannot eat of any of the fruit of the tree in the garden? Did God really say? Isn't that what God does to us? You've tried, you, every one of us here, we've coddled some sin in our life. And isn't that what the tempter does to us? Tries to deceive us into believing that it's true. So, deception is number one. Number two is your personal destruction. Satan and this mystery of evil. It is very real, very personal, very intentional. Wants to ruin your eternity. I think the last time I was here, or one of the times I talked about one of the theories in, of the early church fathers, is the reason why Satan hates us so much is that, he, is that we are destined to replace that fallen third of angels in heaven. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it's an interesting theory to think about, at least. But he wants your personal destruction. He does not want the plan and purpose that God has for you in your life to ever be realized. And sometimes, even with God's people, he partially accomplishes that. I'm thinking of the story of King David. The greatest calling on King David's life. The greatest ambition that he had in life was to build the temple of God in Jerusalem. But he could never do it, could he? Why? Because God said, you have blood on your hands. And it was David who had seduced the wife of Uriah and had him put in the front of the battle line so he would die and he could take Bathsheba as his wife. They lost their first son that was born of that illicit relationship. And David, while he was honored and blessed and God used him in great ways, there was something that was part of the mission for his life that was never accomplished because he had been deceived by the enemy. Now, I'm one. Maybe you are too. You know something in your life that has cost you. And God has blessed, he has forgiven, he's moved on, and there's great joy in your life. But something that could have been, never will be, because of the deception and the destructive efforts of Satan within your life. That's what, God's, that's what Satan is trying to do personally in the lives of every one of us sitting in this room. It goes beyond that. Satan is wanting to eliminate, displace, replace godly values, a godly moral compass, a godly code for living 
with his own alternate unplanned for your life. This is what I think is happening on a national level in our country right now. How stupid are these so-called geniuses that are living legends only in their own minds when they try to reinvent human nature and redefine what a man and a woman is. I saw it this week. Friday morning, my wife and I went in just for our wellness check at the doctor's office where we are. It's a clinic there for old folks like us and seniors' medical care. And they wanted to update the information. And when it came to gender, there were five options. Male, female, transgender, bi, no, non-binary, or the fifth one was not sure. (laughs) I was looking at my wife and she was kind of baffled by it and she had checked mistakenly, I think she she checked the not sure box. (laughs) And, And I said, Cherie. She said, well, I don't know what they're asking. I said, well, that's not what they mean by not sure there. <laughs> and the couple that was sitting behind us started laughing because they heard what was going on. But I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're inundated with. And how's this working out for us now? As we are moving further and further as a nation from those moorings. How is that working out for us? You know, there's something satanic behind all of this. I remember when the pandemic first broke out. I was sitting in my office in Eugene, Oregon, where I was the teaching pastor for a time, and the pastor, lead pastor came in and we were talking. We were talking about the pandemic And I said to Pastor Van, I said, Van, I said, I don't know what to make of this, but there's something dark behind all of this. That was over two years ago now. And I think I had a word from the Lord. I'm more convinced of that than ever. There's something dark that is happening, and it's hell-bent on our destruction. Now, I'm a good historian. I've got an earned PhD in that, so I know what I'm talking about here. This history they're trying to rewrite is bad history. It breaks all the rules of how good history is written. All of them. But you have, in the words of Paul, those who are professing to be wise became fools. Because as they are under the spell <clears throat> of his satanic unmajesty, they try to breed, l- breathe life into the lies. And this is the world that we're called to live in right now. Let's look at the strategic deception of this counterintelligence for just a moment. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Two passages of scripture. I want you to read them on your own time. I'm just going to highlight them here right now. Interesting parallel between the temptation of the first Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and the last Adam, Adam, who was Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4. And we can learn something. I will tell you, when I trace how temptation works in my life, It's very similar to how it happened in the garden, how it happened to Jesus. When after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Satan came to him. The first line of temptation is appeal to basic need. Well, I have to eat. When I saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that trumps the fact God said, don't eat of it. Satan. 
If you're really the son of God, you're starving. Turn these stones into bread. So the first line of temptation is we justify what Satan is whispering in our ear because I've got to eat. I've got to have shelter. God knows my heart. How many times have we heard that before? Where we justify what we're doing because God knows my heart. Yeah, God also knows your deeds and your acts. A second line of temptation is to awaken and appeal to sensual desire and appetites. And when she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye, there's something that appeals to us about the aesthetic attraction. Jesus, on the high pinnacle of the temple, if you're really the Son of God, throw yourself off it, and his angels will catch you. We like that kind of of security that comes. And we like the appeal that comes from things that appeal to our instincts for security, safety, beauty. It can happen in any sensual area of our life. And that becomes an area of real vulnerability as well. And the third one, the allure into self-reliance. Being like God yourself. God knows, Genesis 3, that when you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be master of your own destiny. Jesus, if you, Satan speaking, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I don't think he was tempting Jesus to become a Satan worshiper, but he was tempting Jesus to use the tools of power and intimidation and personal drive and ambition to shoulder your way to the front and control, and you will be master. Have you noticed this about politicians in our own country? They have an insatiable appetite for money, and more power. How many of you know that when Harry Truman had filled out his two terms as President of the United States, he and his wife, was her name Bessie? I can't remember. I think it was Bessie. They got in their car and they drove back to their home in Missouri. Lived a very simple life. Well, I couldn't help notice after, I thought this was classic, when these migrants were flown to Martha's Vineyard. I I just thought that was classic. I didn't realize, and I'm not picking on Barack Obama here, but it's true of every former president. president. They're worth hundreds of millions of dollars now. Hundreds of millions. You can't get them to come and speak for half an hour without a million dollar or half a million dollar speaking fee. 27 acres, this palatial estate, and that's just his summer home. Never enough, and I'm not picking on him, they all do the same thing. This is that allure to self-reliance and self-sufficiency and more power and more wealth, and that is addictive for all of us. Did you know that the richest man who ever lived was not King Solomon, it was John D. Rockefeller. And he was a pious man. He was a Sunday school teacher in his church in, in New York. But he also owned himself as one man about 5% of the nation's wealth. Most of it through Standard Oil that he controlled. And he was known for, when he would walk down the streets, if he saw a penny lying on the sidewalk, he would stop everything and bend over and pick it up and put it in his pocket. And he was asked one time, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money do you really need? He said, just a little bit more. Are we any different? That's something that's a part of our human nature, isn't it? And this is the strategic...
strategic deception of Satan and how he will work in your life and my life. So why does God allow all this stuff? This is an age-old question. It might well be that the first book that was ever put to parchment in the Old Testament was the book of Job. That might be the oldest written book in the Old Testament. And the question that is being asked in that question, Job is asking, we don't even know where the land of Uz was. He lived in the land of Uz. Is why do bad things happen to good people? It's never been solved. And Job never got an answer for it. Finally, at the end of the book of Job, the voice out of the whirlwind says, where do I store the snow? How do I make it rain? And he goes on and on with these questions, and it's God saying, Job, if you don't know the answer to some of these easy questions, how do you think you can handle the deep mysteries of why I do what I do? We live with that unresolved. And you know people, and you've may have battled it yourself on this. Well, I, when I was talking to somebody not long ago about it, and they were saying, I just can't believe in a God who allows this to happen. I said, well, what else are you going to believe in? Is the alternative any better? No, it's not. So why does God allow it? Two quick things here. One, freedom. It's the risk of God. When God created the world into existence, he wanted to see something that reminded him of himself. The one thing, and this might be at least part of the image of God in us, the one thing God posited within Adam and Eve was freedom to choose. A tree can't uproot itself and say, I think I want to go live in this yard now. They just have to stay there and be a tree. We are the only creature in God's creation that has this freedom. Now freedom, by the way, before I move on here, and I'm going to wrap this up quickly, I always get under the anointing and just blame the Holy Spirit because, you know, anyway. Uh, Freedom is not just freedom of choice. Freedom involves three components. One, it involves knowledge of what is the right thing to do. It involves empowerment, being able to do it. I've talked to people, you have too, and said, I, 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 I can quit smoking any time I want. I've already quit 40 times. They're not free, are they? And then there is choice. And God creating us as free creatures was the risk of God. Because he knew there would be some. And of course, God knows all things. That in freedom would choose to be for God, even though they didn't have to be. Just as God in his freedom chose to be for us, even though he doesn't have to be. I don't mean to make you feel insecure or in a delicate position. But God doesn't need you. He could wipe you out and make another one that looks just like you. But he has chosen in his freedom to be for us. And then, next thing here, soul making. We are bound to time and space and our earthly existence as we experience it. But I'm telling you, just like St. Anthony that I spoke of earlier, why God did you let this happen to me? Because I have great plans for you in eternity future. And the things that we stand against and up for, it's part of what I've called here the soul-making process. When we get to heaven, we're going to be tried and tested and prepared for the higher and eternal purposes God has for us. You may never get an answer I have learned, this is just me speaking, and I've had a few things I've had to deal with that I don't ask God why.
I just trust him because. Now sometimes I will understand the why. But that really is immaterial. Now quickly, we're going to return back to those first verses that we, I opened with. Well, I'm just going to skip past this one because I'm getting too long-winded here. Back to verses we started with. Be alert. Oops, here we go. Oop, heads up. We live our lives heads up, aware that there is counterintelligence that is hell-bent on our destruction. Secondly, identify the enemy. It's not all about meds. <coughs> it's not all about your family of origin. It's not all about victimology. It is about Satan, a real enemy that is working in the midst of all of the things that are affecting your life and trying to work for your ruin. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. And we've got to use spiritual tools against that. You are not alone. One of Satan's greatest ploys is to say, nobody else is going through what you're going through. It's happening everywhere. This misery has company. And there are those all around us. And that's happening in our world now. This whole thing that we're battling in terms of uh, this battle for the minds of a nation and for the direction of our country is something that millions of us are a part of. Now, I went very quickly. Let's see if this is going to let me back up here again. I just want to... The armor of God. On your own. I want you to read Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 10. But let's just go down this armor. It's the helmet of salvation. That's what protects you. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness simply means right living, doing the right thing. It's the belt of truth. We don't live by lies. But we stand on the truth that is in God's word. It's the shield of faith that we bring up because Satan is firing fiery darts at you. Those old shields were made out of wood and the fiery arrows that came in, that flame would be quenched when it stuck into the wood of the soft wood of that shield. And there is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What did Jesus say in his temptation? Get thee behind me, Satan. For what? For it is written. And your feet, which don't show here, are to be uh, shod with readiness. We're nimble and moving. We're not a stationary target. And I just want to leave this thought with you. Don't underestimate the power of the enemy of your soul. He's real. And he is determined to destroy you. And he does not like our nation that has stood for great good. And he is wanting to destroy that. Don't be discouraged. I'm telling you, lies never endure. But I'm also telling you, they can do great damage and harm. Between the time in which they manifest themselves and the Lord intervenes. Don't let Satan win victories in your life. Let's stand together. Yeah, and I had some other stuff I was going to say, but I've got to shut up, so I'm going to. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. And um, I, don't, I really don't want anybody looking around. I'm going to speak, but not you. But maybe it's there's some area in your life where you're, under, you're coming under enemy fire. And through the message, maybe it was something in the song, but the scriptures we've looked at today, you just want to launch a counterattack against Satan. And you want to ask for the Lord's help 
in overcoming those things that are coming against you. I just, if you're here, i just like you to slip your hand long, up long enough for me to see and you can put it right back down. I see one. Are there any others? I see another. Are there others? Yes, I see another. I see another. I see another. You know, the Holy Spirit's speaking. I'm going to ask you to make, to repeat after me, and I'm going to modify the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to make that your prayer. And then we'll be dismissed. If you, if you would like to talk to me after the service, I'm here. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I'm here. But uh, this is one of those moments where the Lord is speaking into hearts and lives. And, and, and the Lord wants you to leave here changed and victorious in this. So repeat after me. I'm going to slightly modify the Lord's Prayer. I'm not even sure exactly where I'm going on this, but we're going to do it. Repeat after me. My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life, just as it is in heaven. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Lead me not in temptation, but give me the strength to stand against the temptations of Satan. Deliver me from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, it's almost time to eat. Can I say the blessing on the food right now? Okay, I'm going to give you a blessing, and then I'm going to ask grace over the food, and then it's first come, first serve. Okay. If it, seriously, if any of you would like to talk to me about anything in the message that the Lord's dealing with you about, I'm here. Okay. Now may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face, his grace to shine upon you and his face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you his strength and victory against the temptations of the tempter and may you walk in victory today and throughout the week ahead. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning. We pray that you'd bless our fellowship and this 